There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Thank you, that was great. I feel very relaxed now. Coming up today on Highbrow Radio at 4pm, Dr. Matthew Sweet takes a very personal and candid journey into the world of ayahuasca. Uh, 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 Camus. Oh, God. But now on Highbrow Radio, it's time for this week's Drama of the Week. This week's Drama of the Week is Park Date. In this provocative and emotive two-hander, a failing podcaster chats to a successful but very, very, very old director as the pair stroll across Hampstead Heath in London's North London. Can these two men learn anything from each other? That's Park Date. Christopher Beanland is played by Charles Bonus. And Michael Cumming is played by Tilda Swinton. Park Date is written by Fox McClellan, from an idea by Fox McClellan. The producer is Bob Thorpe. The director is Manzoni Gardens, with additional audio tinkering by Jill and Sainsbury McManus. Park Date is a metabolically bisturbile production for Hybra Radio and does contain strong language and references to ornithology. Welcome to another Park Date on today's episode, Mr. Michael Cumming. Michael is the director of Brass Eye and Oxide Ghosts, which looks behind the scenes at Brass Eye, and Sandyland and Snuffbox, and the Mark Steele Lectures and the Mark Thomas Comedy Product and Toast of London, and uh, also some episodes of Tomorrow's World and The Word. If his Wikipedia is to be believed, we need to check that one. Uh, I spoke to Michael during a walk on Hampstead Heath, and we discussed so many things which you will hear now. Uh, Michael has also collaborated with Stuart Lee on the rockumentary King Rocker, which I will be in uh, conversation uh, with Michael and Stuart about when the film is shown in Birmingham at the Midlands Arts Centre on the 28th of July. So do come down and join us for that film screening and that talk and come and say hello to me after and as usual if you like Park Date 
please do like and subscribe and leave us a review and follow us on socials at Park Date Podcast. Enjoy this episode. Hampstead Heath. Michael's looking around, ever vigilant, in case there's any kind of threat. Well, it's Maybe mainly it's you know to say you're on owls, owls. Um, eagles. Any there's is there anything we need to be watchful for in Hampstead Heath, Michael? Is it is it dangerous for us to be here? The only main danger is once when I walked down here, I um, nearly bumped into Bill Oddie, the um, <laughs> the bird watching uh, goody, and. Um, that, uh, he, he can be angry, I think. Right. Um, he's got a temper on him. Um, just down there, actually. Um, is this a true story? This sounds very partridge. Is this no, a no, true it's story? true. It's really? True. I've only ever bumped into two yeah. famous... Well, not bumped into... I've only ever seen two famous people on the Heath walking through it. One was Bill Oddie and the other one was uh, Melvin Bragg. Melvin Bragg. Lord Bragg of Wigton, which... And I really wanted to talk to him because... Yeah, because you, you guys have got Cumbria in common, haven't you? Yeah, Cumbria. And there's a sort of mutual connection and there's a thing that mm. I do want to talk to him about and we do have a sort of connection. And I nearly did. And I thought, he's on a walk. He's on Hampstead Heath. Do you know, uh, yeah. it, it's so funny you say that. I see... For, yeah, let's... let's uh, Michael's gesturing us to walk. Let's well, I know that makes me like... I've got to be in control. But I, I just thought, <laughs> we can't just stand around talking about Bill Oddie all day. Nobody's going to want to no listen to that, are they? to listen to that. No, I've had so many... There's been so many cases where I've seen someone yeah. and I've been like, well, shall I pitch you an idea? Uh, shall I say hello? And I, and I just... Uh, I just, I just haven't done it, but did you, yeah. p- did you pitch your idea for a Southbank show episode? Are you, are you going to say, uh, I Melvin, I Lord, Lord Bragg? What, so what, what's your Cumbria connection with... Uh, well, I mean, it's... It, it, he used to be the, you know, the boss of Border Television and... Um, Border Television, one yeah. of the smallest ITV yeah. franchises, and I they, they were based in Carlisle, mm-hmm. and, um, which is not far, that far away from... I was born yeah. in Windermere in the Lake District, and Carlisle... Was that when was, Richard Madeley was uh, presenting Border Tonight? Or it, was, was Look was Around maybe, or something? Yeah, Look Around was the show. I don't yeah. remember Madeley producing it. That was maybe a bit before I... Yeah. We used to get Granada in the Lake District, and then there was a horrible day where... It all changed to border, and we're a bit down on it. But, but as it turned out, actually, they, you know, when I left film school and was looking for something mm. to do, it's very hard. It was very hard to get a job, and actually, border. It's very easy to get jobs now. You, it's, you it's come out of university, they're like, well, do you want to do you want to make a film? You've got your here's a hundred grand. You kids, you've got your YouTube, <laughs> haven't you? You can put it all on YouTube. But yeah. anyway, border TV let me do some stuff there, and it's a bit yeah, of a right. long and dull story actually. The connection with Brad. Right. But anyway, there is a connection. Look, two magpies for joy. That's good for us. Yes. Uh, I'm sort of aware that this is. Uh, uh, we're walking through this. So when beautiful sort of bit and mm. you're sort are you supposed to sort of describe no fuck it who cares <laughs> actually the truth is we're just sitting That's in the a studio <laughs> and he puts on all the sound effects afterwards it's all fake it's all put on afterwards <laughs> yeah this is where I saw give some fake description well this is this. where I saw Bill Oddie well, uh, Bill, was Bill, the, the Bill Oddie was looking at the pond yeah well he was looking at the bird you know he was actually well, dressed he have in binoculars? proper tw- yeah he had binoculars <laughs> and he was in a proper twitcher's sort of green camo <laughs> I mean, it seemed a bit over the top because we are just on Hampstead Heath. But he I know, we're not in the Serengeti, are we? No, we were just, yeah, he was just dressed in the full, like you'd yeah. imagine he would be. Yeah. And he was just standing looking over here. But they do have some, 
I interesting waterfowls on this. Uh, they do, oh, don't they? You, you can never see very much. I love the, I love the um, constant Alan Partridge jokes when he's talking about Bill Oddie all the time. And I do wonder if people like Bill Oddie and Sue Cook were, were watching I'm Alan Partridge and thinking, oh my God, they're laying into me again for seemingly no reason. Yeah, um, it's a bit unfair because he, um, you know, the goodies were... Uh, he might be one of those people who sort of lost his sense of humour, yeah. but... Um, the goodies were a big thing when I was... Was that one of your comedy inspirations? I wouldn't say an inspiration, no. but I liked it. Yeah. And then, you know, then it got a bit silly and... Yeah. No, it was probably Python. It was more of a... I don't think I've ever watched the goodies. I watched a lot of Python, but... Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how well it stands up. I think some of it does. Yeah. But the, they made a couple of good albums. Yeah. He's a very clever songwriter, Bill. I call him Bill, <laughs> since I nearly bumped into him. You see him all the time. Yeah. You, you always see famous people in London, don't you? I saw, um, oh God, uh, Clive Anderson in Highbury Fields. Um, I saw uh, Alan Bennett cycling in Regent's Park nice. once. Yeah, easy spot, everybody's seen him. <laughs> it's actually five Alan Bennett's. Yeah. Just... He doesn't cycle anymore, which is sad. He can't, he can't oh, ride his bike anymore. That is sad. That is sad. Um, do you come to uh, the Heath often, Michael? Are do you, you come a, here often? <laughs> are, you a, are you a regular here? Um, well, you know what? I tend to use it as a way to... I say the Heath, obviously, as, as we've said, we're in the studio. Yeah, yeah. I'm just Why don't put you put on some footsteps on gravel? Footsteps on, on gravel. People will go, well, why have you put gravel on? They're on the Heath. Yeah. But there are bits that have They're got gravel. A so gravelly just, bit. So put the gravel effect on now. We've overthought it. it. Exactly. Um, <laughs> no, I use it. I tend to use it... Uh, I sort of walk to town. I live in Highgate, and I, mm-hmm. I walk uh, into town sometimes, or I walk halfway into town across yeah. the Heath, and it's a nice way of doing it. But I don't really sort of come and just hang around in parks anymore. Yeah. Those days are over for me. Where, did you do that when you <laughs> <laughs> did you do that when you were younger? When you were te- when, when you were a teenager, we all do that when we when we're. I suppose. I mean, I, I grew up in um, I grew up in the Lake District, mm. which is just one massive park. So it's very countrified, and I didn't really. Yeah. I mean, you know, sure, we played football on the wreck. Mm. Of course we did. The wreck. That's such uh, an English word, isn't it? Is, it? Isn't it? Recreation ground. And we played football on the library gardens. Mm-hmm. But we no, it wasn't really. It was more you just sort of wander freely in the countryside. Well, this is swimming a lake. This is the thing, isn't it, about growing up in the countryside? Actually, you can just go out anywhere and kind of. Stroll by a brackish stream. <laughs> I'm just trying to paint a picture of my what, childhood. <laughs> what it's like. Yeah. Exactly. Was it? I remember that show, The Lakes. Do you remember that on? Um, yes, I remember being thinking that was quite that's good, not. Wasn't that, it? Yeah, it was good, but I remember thinking that's not the lakes I no. remember. But I so we're trying to make it, it a bit sort of seedy and glamorous, yeah, right? yeah. a bit edgy. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. Um, and when, well, we're we're not too far from where we first had a conversation, Michael. If you remember in. Uh, very quaint cafe in Highgate a few years ago when yeah. um, you told me for the first time about Oxide Ghosts and your plans for that. And as a big Brass Eye fan, I was very, very, very excited. Um, and you've done a lot of Oxide Ghost touring, haven't you? You've taken it. Were you in, Gla- you in Glastonbury, weren't you? I just got back from Glastonbury. How was Glastonbury? It? Yeah, it was amazing. I yeah. mean, it's, it, it's been great, actually. I, I think when I first talked to you about it, um, it was probably about five years ago, shockingly. It was. yeah. And you did one of the first Q&As for me in um, Birmingham. Um, we were both so young back then, weren't we? We were so at least five years younger. Um, but, 
yeah, it's been great. It's, uh, it seems to... People still want to see it. Um, it's only ever shown in a live sort of cinema context, which I suppose then makes it something to... I wouldn't... I wouldn't put that sound effect of a truck going past. People just not believe that we're uh, actually walking. I think I'm going to really subtly insert the truck going past sound effect. It's going to sound so good. Um, is that legal that you should be driving down there? I think they work for the city. It was a corporation of London who weirdly own this park, right. even though that's... Even though it's a heath. Their, their purview is... Uh, yeah, it's a heath, exactly. Yeah, not, not technically a park. Their purview is a square mile, but for some reason, they have uh, ideas above their station and also own this and right. Epping Forest and some other things as well. Oh, you're a park uh, expert. But no, yeah, I mean, I've sort of travelled all over the place with it. And yeah. It was amazing to be asked to go. I mean, I've never been to Glastonbury, and I was always sort of thinking... Was well, this your first Glastonbury? My first Glastonbury. I thought, we're not going to go. Well, I sort of felt... I don't want to go unless uh, I've got a decent mm. place to <laughs> lay my head. Um, I've, uh, I'm <laughs> too old for camping now. And, uh, did you, but, uh, did yes, you require a hotel? No, no, I was on yeah. site. It was amazing. I stayed mm-hmm. in caravans sort of at the cinema tent, yeah. the Pilton Palais cinema tent, which was great, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, it was a good crowd came to see it on yeah. the Thursday night but I got in the day before it opened so to be a, a big thing like that and see the sort of I suppose the artifice of it and the behind the scenes yeah. and the setup of it was kind of interesting Yeah. and it didn't have all those long queues for everything um, but it was good I mean it was slightly more tacky than I thought it would be in parts. Mm. There's a lot of people staggering around eating cheesy chips, <laughs> which I wasn't expecting. Just like a no- normal day in Cumbria as well, isn't it? <laughs> I don't think we've got the, the cheese hasn't come to Cumbria. We have gravy. <laughs> chips and gravy, uh, yeah. But, um, but, you know, there's some lovely... Yeah, it was a, it was a fantastic experience. I really liked it. Yeah. Um, and um, I saw some good stuff. Yeah which is good having not been out and seen much for a few years I've got all my gigs in in one uh, who did you see? Um, well I saw obviously Paul McCartney which mm-hmm. was groovy uh, right at the front of Paul McCartney I yeah. was and I didn't realise until I looked back on it 140,000 people or something all yeah. those people behind me I wasn't really aware of how sort of weird that was when I but, um, did you did you get a chance to ask him about the hundred top hats? He donated. He donated to Kozik. I didn't, uh, sadly. Um, <laughs> he was great. Sleaford Mods were great. Yeah. Vincent, Vincent were great. Yeah. Our great. She's great. But weirdly, things. I felt I was very emotionally affected, surprisingly, by seeing, like. Tom Robinson band who mm. I was into when I was a kid but right. had, had no real memories of since Yeah. and Pam Ayres ah po- <laughs> poet Pam Ayres poet yes. um, in conversation I just bumped into yeah. her on Sunday morning with herself with, with, with <laughs> well, some bloke right it was great yeah um yeah, it, but it was it was. Glastonbury's a Glastonbury's a funny one though, isn't it? Because I uh, I haven't been since my my first and only Glastonbury, 1998, when I saw Pulp, Foo Fighters, um, 
I believe Andy Williams was doing the legend slot. Um, but there was something uh, like it was really fun. But there's also there's kind of things that people don't tell you about Glastonbury. Like it is like there's a lot of people, and it can be kind of gross. Yeah. Like it was very flooded when we were there. It was very muddy. Yeah. That kind of sort of pissy smell around. I think, I, to be honest, I think I locked out. I had flushing <laughs> toilets, shower, caravan on oh the side. Oh my god! It didn't rain really. Yeah, um, that sounds like a much more uh, pleasant um, experience. But I remembered when I was there. Surfing said I'd never mm. been there. I had been to Glastonbury. In fact, I slept on the pyramid stage in 1981. <laughs> I slept on the pyramid stage. Do you want me to tell you why, or should we just leave it there? No, let's move on to the next thing. Yeah, let's do so, it. this tree... It's <laughs> a nice tree, though. <laughs> tell, me, tell me that story, yeah. Well, like, was, I, how did you end up on the pyramid stage? It turns out I'd completely forgotten right. about this. And it, obviously it was a shonkier yeah. you know, version of the pyramid stage, so yeah. because it's, it's changed over the years. But yeah, yeah. I think it was 82, it might have been 79, I can't remember, right. but it, I had a friend from the Lake District. Get, get, get your facts straight, Mark. I, I if you, you're in court, this wouldn't be going well for you. Well, it was a long time ago. Anyway, um, <laughs> well, that's what all the people say from that era, isn't it? That's always the defence. It was a long time ago, I can't remember. So either the people who were on the stage before yeah. I slept on it were either Hawkwind or Peter Gabriel, depending on which year it was. Either way, I'm Hawkwind pretty, I'm pretty or happy. Peter Gabriel. I'm pretty happy either way. Right. But basically, a friend of mine from the lakes had moved down to Somerset, yeah. and we went to visit him, yeah. and uh, he went to school with Becky Evis, and it was her 18th oh, birthday, right. and it was just a couple of weeks after the festival, so the stage was still up, yeah. the party was around the old pyramid stage, mm. and then everybody just crashed out and sort of slept on the stage, yeah. and I hadn't really even thought about that until... Yeah. Um, until I got there, and then they had a little exhibition of the history. It was the 50th year this yeah. year. Was there a photo of, uh, of me on the stage? So well, there wasn't, but it reminded Someone in a hat. They had the See? different years. Right. And I oh. saw the um, pictures, and I thought, oh, my God, that, that, that's happened. That actually happened. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. History history in the making yeah. so when you showed Oxide Ghosts this year yeah. what was uh, what was the reaction to it were people at Glastonbury uh, or generally at Glastonbury especially um, well yeah I was a bit worried because normally when people come to see it as you know having done a few of the Q&A's yeah. the, um, they, they specifically come to it they buy a ticket and they come to it but obviously at a festival people can just wander in <laughs> so I did I was a bit when I did ask at first if yeah. anybody had just accidentally wandered in and had never seen Brass Eye and two people put their hands up and I said I left honestly you probably should go yeah. but actually they didn't and they said, came yeah. up to me afterwards and said they enjoyed it but no it was good it was like it, was, it wasn't that much different from a normal one except yeah. everybody sat cross-legged on the floor right that was the only difference that's interesting but it was a proper cinema you know it was a yeah. proper it's actually better cinema, you know, projection and cinema than a lot of places I've shown it in. Uh, and did you do a Q and A at the end? Yeah, I did a Q and A at the end. Yeah, with um, Ali Plum, who's the BBC Radio One sort of film critic, I think. Ah, excellent. Um, yeah, it was good. And um, Tilda Swinton, darling, was uh, in the audience. She was doing a thing there. Fantastic. Mad as a box of frogs, but tremendous fun, <laughs> as uh, Jane Fluff from Toast uh, says <laughs> in one of the episodes. No, she was great. Yeah. And are you, um, obviously you've shown the film over uh, quite a few years now. Are you still, are you still feeling excited by it, Michael? Are you still happy to do, I mean, you and I, or you, you do Q&As with Stu and 
various other people as Stuart mm. Lee, various other people as well. Are you still happy, like discussing the film? Does it still get you excited? Well, I, it was it was interesting doing it again. I did it, I basically did it five years ago, and yeah. then I didn't really do it until this year because it, I was doing it on anniversaries. It was twenty fifth anniversary of Brass Eye yes. this year. Um, so I did a little tour at the beginning of the year, yeah. which. I wasn't sure whether there was anybody left in the country who hadn't seen it, mm-hmm. and actually it, it did amazingly well. So, and in fact, I'm going to do some more shows in September just because there's been a lot of people sort of asking and yeah. asking me if I'll go and do it uh, places that I haven't been yeah. or places that I have been that sold out, and people have asked for it to come back. So I will do some more. I yeah. feel like it is the anniversary year. Get it out of my system, and then we'll yeah. forget about it for another. I don't know how long. Five, five, <laughs> five years, I yeah, guess. Yeah, but I mean, in all seriousness, it is, um, it is, you know, touching really that something you yeah. made so long ago is, is sort of, you know, held in, you know, such yeah. high esteem by people and that they want to come out and, yeah. you know, that people remember it so, so fondly <clears throat> and because um, it's a very throwaway medium telly, isn't it? Yeah. And, and a lot of stuff just gets forgotten about, but. So, you know, it, it, it's, I, I'm really happy that people want to remember it. Uh, and it's a nice way for people, I suppose, to sort of like-minded people can meet at these screenings and, and sort of, you know, talk nonsense about their yeah, and comedies they like. And throw, throw out catchphrases as well, which... Which happens. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, I think it's testament to um, how important Brass Eye was and the quality of that uh, that show that people are still coming to see Oxide yeah. Ghost and if you haven't seen Oxide Ghost it's it's Michael's kind of look behind the scenes at how it was how it was made and uh, some bits that didn't make it into the show and yeah, it's, it's really mostly unseen yeah. footage or different versions of things yeah. that people might know and um, so yeah I will do a bit more of that probably you should do and it was yeah it was an amazing amazing show and and I was sat there as a 17 year old glued to Brass Eye every week just thinking I cannot believe how good and how funny the show is and it was it was kind of you know people talk about uh, their sort of moment they saw the Sex Pistols or whatever for for me watching Brass Eye in 97 was like that I thought yeah. I thought this is what I want to do. This is incredible. It's so, so fresh and so uh, exciting and so kind of confrontational and um, just ripping up, ripping up the rule book. And uh, yeah, the way that you and Chris were uh, obviously uh, taking, oh, there's a little Robin. Um, but yeah, taking taking risks and doing those doing those crazy stunts that you were doing it was uh, it was fantastic yeah and, and I think that's probably the age isn't it around that sort mm. of age where you sort of latch onto things that mean something for the rest of your life and so yeah. a lot of the audience you know I was surprised actually you know were not people who'd seen it as adults at the time but more people who'd seen it at age 16, 17, mm. 18 because I suppose that's when you start taking everything on board don't you exactly exactly <clears throat> And yeah, it must have been it must have been an incredible, incredible experience making uh, making Brass Eye and. Well, it was, and it was as it was as a, as a much a surprise really to me when we were making it because it kind of developed over the year. The, it, we were sort of two years in production, which mm. is insane amount of time yeah. for a t- TV show. But it kind of developed during that period, and it, you know what it started out at was very different from the way it ended up. We were talking about King Rocker is another thing that you've been doing recently 
Um, well, another thing that we did a couple of years ago, but still seems to have well, a bit of a life. It w- you know. You're right, exactly. It was a couple of years ago, wasn't <laughs> it? And you said um, you and Stu are doing, uh, doing some screenings at Edinburgh, Edinburgh Festival. Birmingham, of course, so I'm going to be... Uh, going to be there for for that one but um well it was the thing with king rocker was we we made it as a cinema it's a documentary but we made it to be shown in cinemas really and never i don't think we ever thought it would be on tv we thought it would be one of those things you know like oxide it was after i'd done oxide i thought Mm. well there is a world where you can just tour films around and do a q a and show it to people who want to see it um and I thought that's what it would be, but obviously, you know, we couldn't do that because all the cinemas were closed down, so it ended up going on to Sky Arts. And so it's only now we're sort of getting around to actually showing it in some cinemas, which yeah. is, you know, really good fun to do. Yeah. Ah. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. a lake and some very excited dogs. And some hat. Oh, is that some. Is that. Ricky Gervais's house or something over there maybe. <laughs> I think his house would be much bigger than that. <laughs> oh. oh, that is a designated dog, dog swim, swim area. area. Yeah, keep them in there. Official, official areas for, for dogs to go swimming. Um, so obviously in, in uh, King Rocker, uh, it's the story of the Nightingales, a band that not not everyone really knows. Not anyone. No, and I have to say, <laughs> I'm, I'm a big music fan and they, right. they're not, they weren't really on my my radar very much Stu reveals himself as a big Nightingales fan were you a Nightingales fan I was yeah yeah Yeah. totally yeah Yeah. in fact I saw them Stu never actually saw them Stu doesn't even like them he doesn't like them it's just just all all fake I I said they were great and he went oh girl what should we do a film about them (laughs) no he was a fan but he's a bit younger than me and so he didn't um Hold on, how old are you? Stuart Lee is younger than you. Stuart Lee is considerably younger than me. Ah, I know. We, we, were tra- we were trying to do the math on this earlier. Like, is Michael actually 90 years old? I don't, I don't like to ever <laughs> discuss it. A lady never uh, gives it away. But, but um, yeah, I, I saw them a few times yeah. in, the, in their day, whereas Stu never did. But he, right. he would more sort of caught up with the later version. They reformed and he knew more yeah. about that world, whereas I hadn't really seen them. In those guises, but basically Stuart had got in his mind to, I think Robert asked, you know, the lead singer of the yeah. band had sort of mentioned about doing a documentary to him years before, and he couldn't really think of how that would be possible. And then, by a weird sort of set of coincidences, um, which may be too dull to talk about on this or any other podcast, but I will do, and then you could just edit it out. But I know you can't be bothered to edit this, can you? But, I already uh, told you, <coughs> yeah. <laughs> Like I said, do you edit it? I was like, I try not to. <laughs> what if I said a, a very rude word? Oh my God! <laughs> How rude are we talking? Well, off <laughs> well, the scale. I I'd edit that, wouldn't I? Um, uh, um, yeah. yeah um, where was I? Yes. Uh, the, um, well, the the, the um, circuitous reason yeah. that it happened really was, again, it was sort of related to Oxide Ghost. I was. I was screening Oxide Ghost in Wolverhampton, which is where I went to art school, actually. And was this when you got your honorary degree from Wolverhampton University? Was it Not that, that I like to talk about it, but... Uh, uh, we, were, we were talking about that, weren't we, when you were... doctor. Yeah, the, uh, the, the day before uh, you did that. Before, I think it might have been. Mm. But anyway, I was there, and I was talking to this bloke who worked there, and um, <clears throat> I didn't know at the time, but it turned out he was an ex-member of the Nightingales. And so I somebody told me that he was so I got him back in touch with him and said that how weird I was I'm a fan of the band and um, and I think he then had gone to see Stuart 
and ended up talking to Stuart after one of his shows and said, oh, you know, you're not the only bloke in comedy who's a fan of Nonius. We had Michael here and Stuart went, oh, well, I know him. I've worked with him. So he got in touch with me and said, are you a fan of the Nightingales? I can't believe it. I've been looking for somebody to do this film with. And so that's how it sort of, that's, that's how it started. And like all, I think like all good sort of passion projects, it just was like, okay, well, let's just do it. You know, we've both been around long enough to be able to pull in favors and we just started making it we didn't have any sort of commissioner or financial backing or anything we just sort of started really and 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 sort of seeing what happened so it took quite a long time to actually make it as it does if you don't have any you know anybody telling you it's got to be handed in on thursday yeah you were just doing bits and bobs and bits and bobs over the years but it's um but it's been great that um you know it, it seems to have sort of reignited interest in the band it seems to have, have, have hopefully been interesting to you know when we first talked about it you know we realized that you can't just make a film for fans of a band that nobody's ever heard of so I th- hopefully it's a bigger story about you know I suppose well, it's about creating p- against all odds yeah. you know, being you know the, the Nightingales are very you know have had a bit of critical interest over the years but not many record sales and yeah. they just kept you know Rob the, uh, who's the sort of the main sort of character in the film I suppose has, has just kept going and just against all odds just kept going yeah. and um, actually the film seems to have I think helped a little bit in terms of getting in bigger audiences and stuff mm-hmm. like that so you know in that respect sort of job done I think yeah and I think that's a really interesting um, line of inquiry of a very interesting narrative and one that really resonates with me the idea of uh, creators who are creating against against the odds, yeah. and um, when you're, you know, whatever it is you're making music or you're writing or art or film or whatever, um, even the most successful people have these periods where uh, n- no one's answering the phone or every project you pitch um, <laughs> is not is not getting green green lit. And I think that I think that story is a really really interesting one. It also chimes with um, one thing we talked about um, in relation to Oxide Ghost, which in fact you put at the start of Oxide Ghosts when you're kind of telling your own story, aren't you, Michael, of when you were making a British gas advert yes. and your, you know, your own career was not, uh, not going not going. Yeah, that was that when great. the day-to-day was on TV. Right. And I, but that was, yes, I specifically talk about <clears throat> with the very first episode of the day-to-day, mm. watching it in this hotel when I was on location yeah. shooting this absolutely dreadful sort of corporate <laughs> video, and watching it thinking, Jesus, this is the funniest thing I've ever seen. Yeah. You know, what am I doing? Yeah. I'm about to go down and have a meeting with some blokes from British Gas to discuss how we film their vans driving or something, <laughs> you know, and it... And, and, you know, that's the point where I sort of, you know, you could have just given up, really. And, yeah. I, and, I, and I sort of was about to give up, I mm. think. I'd sort of got very disillusioned with being a sort of freelance jobbing director. Mm. Um, I was working, and, and they sort of paid quite well, those kind of things. But it really wasn't what I'd sort of, you know, I yeah. went to film school, and I, and I thought I'd be sort of, you know, making... British movies by this time yeah. <laughs> and uh, and I was gonna I was sort of thinking about giving up to be honest and, mm. and then I, you know about a year later I'd sort of met Chris and we were sort of starting to get brass eye together and suddenly everything changed like everything that changed. you know I'd ne- I sort of from that moment I, I I sort of just kept getting offered comedy I'd never even imagined doing comedy it's not something I thought of but I I wonder whether that's maybe a healthier 
I speak to a lot of, you know, I go around and do stuff in schools and universities mm. and stuff, and it's amazing how focused sometimes kids seem to be. And they, I saw some kids from my, my old school, and, um, you know, this one guy saying, oh, so I want to be a director. Yeah, I've written a, um, I've written a couple of screenplays, mm. you know. And uh, <laughs> he's like 16 or something, this guy. <laughs> I thought, well, either he's a genius or he's going to end up being really disappointed yeah. because <coughs> I certainly fell, um, you know, I mean, I worked hard at it, and I, and I tried to get better at it, but mm. I... It was certainly a lot of chance came into it, yeah. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juvederm.com. Yeah, and that's uh, I think I think chance is really underplayed in um, in in the narratives of these things. You need to be in the right place at the right time. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if meritocracy necessarily. Well, I'm sure like talented people find their way to to make stuff, but you never you never really know if uh, you know you're going to be in the right right place at the right time. But I feel yeah, like yeah. King Rocker. Is, almost like your kind of your brass eye moment for the nightingales in a way i think it's like re reignited interest in them and sort of given them a, a kind of second second life hasn't it They're well i hope so i mean they, rob always says that he's never up until this last year or so never really made any money out of the nightingales mm. and yet he's you know he's mm. survived and he's hustled and well, he's had record labels and he's made videos yeah. and he's done all kinds of stuff over the years but he's never really made much money out of the band and I think this last 
tour they got picked up by a much bigger agent because of mm. the film and um you know I, I hope that will change but but yeah. you know despite of that he still puts the record you know the records still get put out and they yeah. they probably you know been breaking even i'm not i'm not really sure but um, yeah. but that's what fascinated me about him as a subject because you know in a way i mean i think Stuart and i had this conversation you know we both said would you give it all up you know mm. and just to have been in that band and to have done those things even though you've made no money and we both went yeah we probably would we probably <laughs> would yeah 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 it's 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 funny i think an, another thing that um i found interesting about the film was um yeah the, the all the you know talk about rob being kind of a hustler mm. um we again i don't think people realize like creators you kind of sometimes end up doing the most random shit um, yeah. You know, like you, you've done your British Gas advert. I've always thought, well, you know, since, since I watched Brass Eye, I thought, well, that's what I want to do. But my career's taken a bizarre series of zigzags. I've been writing about all kinds of strange things, find myself in weird places, writing, writing, and doing all, all kinds of things I've never imagined. And one of the funniest things about Rob in King Rocker is where he gets hired as a food critic. By um, yeah. James um, Brown, is it? Yes, uh, for yes. Loaded or well, something. Well, GQ actually. GQ was yeah, it? Yeah, even better. G- yeah, GQ magazine. And, and yeah, R- yeah. R- R- Rob freely admits that he knew nothing about food or restaurants, no. and he somehow became their rest- restaurant critic, which is fantastic. And even better, they sacked Nigel Slater and gave him the job. <laughs> Nigel Slater got <laughs> sacked. For yeah, Rob. I mean he is a good cook actually, Rob. But, but, is um, it? but yeah. yeah, I mean he. he yeah. um, yeah, that was that. Yeah, that's. A, it's a great, uh, great comedy moment. Yeah. And then, and another thing in that film as well, uh, which is really interesting, is the this the parallel parallel narrative. That's quite hard to say. Mm, and I, we, I wouldn't bother. We did. We, we only had the lime and soda in the, <laughs> in the pub just before this. Um, but the the story of the King Kong statue, which yeah. stood in in St Martin's Circus in Birmingham, by Nick Munro. Um, and it, it's, it forms, yeah, part of Stuart's memories of that time, and yeah, and you, you guys go on the on the hunt for that statue, yes, um, which is a, a fantastic story. It sort of runs parallel with Rob's yeah. story, and Stuart had actually written uh, written mm. a piece about his memories of growing up in Birmingham mm. and about the statue and about the Nightingales which I think has since been published but at the time I think when he sent me it it hadn't been published and then when we went to see the we went together to see the Nightingales when we were first sort of thinking about what yeah. to do and he told me about this you know the statue and and, uh, and then after Rob had come off stage we both you know he was sort of saying Rob was kind of looking lo- looked like this big King Kong gorilla on yes. stage <laughs> and we mentioned it to Rob you yeah. know no no we mentioned no he was doing you know and, and yeah. No, he was that. No, it wasn't that. He was he was sort of roaring around, looking like mm. that. And then Rob actually said to us afterwards, "Oh, you mean a bit like that statue that used to be in Birmingham?" And Stuart uh, couldn't believe it. You know, he was like, "Well, hold on, that we were just talking about that yeah. as maybe a way." And it was a deliberately sort of tenuous connection. But then when we sort of hit on the idea of, we put some animations in, which I, initially I was sort of anti-putting animations in the film because I thought every music documentary's mm. got bloody animations in them. <laughs> So I didn't just want to do it for for the sake of it, but then I thought, well, if we could use that to sort of nail the connection even more, then it would be worth doing, so that Mm. when Rob tells a story we can't illustrate, we have a sort of animated King Kong doing the things that Rob's talking about doing. That sort of ties it all together, and that felt like a a sort of reason, uh, a reason to do it. Um, But yeah, I suppose that's what gives it its... um, 
makes it slightly different from the usual sort of rockumentary. Exactly. Mark Komodo's a big, uh, big fan of, uh, of mm, the film. Right, mm. Rightly so. I think it's a great, it's a great, great movie. And um, I, I love, uh, I love all this, all the stuff about Birmingham. And the funny postscript with King Kong is now <laughs> the the copy of King Kong is uh, coming back to Birmingham. They've made a copy of the statue. Yes, yeah, yeah. And I think there's been a little bit of a movement mm. for a few years to try and sort of get the statue back. But mm. the the owner of it, uh, who who lives up in the Lake District, um, doesn't want to sell it back. Yeah. He, he, they bought it. It moved from... It was a piece of public art, basically, that Birmingham could have bought at the time but didn't. And so it got bought by a bloke who put it on top of his garage uh, to advertise his... Yeah. And changed the name of his garage to King Kong Cars with a K. Yeah. And um, and then these people bought it off him, and it ended up in a market in Cumbria and yeah, Penrith Market. In wasn't Penrith, it? yeah. And so and then, then someone's garden. Then that now, then when the market closed, mm. it, it ended up back in their garden and um, looks, you know, absolutely magnificent. But she didn't want to sell it back to to Birmingham. She likes having it at the house, so that's mm. where it stayed and I and I thought well that's going to scupper all the plans but actually it's a clever idea that they they still had the original maquette the sort of working model of, of, mm. of the statue and so they've using some kind of complicated scanning equipment they've scanned the maquette and they've scaled it up and made it I think it's it's going to be unveiled in you know quite soon but I think it's slightly bigger than the original and I think Nicholas Monroe liked the idea that if you'd seen it when you were a kid it was so much bigger than you but now yeah. you're an adult it's still going to be that extra bit bigger so I think he scaled it up slightly bigger just to to give it that sense of yeah yeah so I'm excited to see that I mean and I think it's going to stay that it's come to Birmingham because of the Commonwealth Games are going to be there but I think it's going to stay in this sort of King Kong Park forever now so yeah. that's that's kind of must be some kind of metaphor for something <laughs> something what it is we don't know I'll but it's it to you you can put that in afterwards whatever that is when you put all the effects in <laughs> i'll insert me thinking of uh yeah of what the metaphor is yeah you can just cut that in exactly <laughs> it, easiest pie easiest pie well you, you're good at editing aren't you maybe we'll get you uh get you to edit this um i think um one, one of the things that you know i i always loved when i was younger was the kind of intersection with comedy and art and really really highbrow stuff which I think you know you, you've always kind of been interested in art like you've got an art background as well haven't mm, you and well I, think I went to art school you yeah, went to art school yeah. didn't you and I you know I've always been you know I'd loved like, obviously Chris's stuff seemed like very avant-garde and more surrealist in a way and I loved like Jonathan Meads and Ian Sinclair and I think Stuart Lee's a big Ian Sinclair fan as well isn't yes, he and yeah yeah yeah. you can sort of see you know in King Rocker as well there's that <coughs> kind of like psychogeography sort of yes people have said that I didn't wasn't aware mm. to, I have to confess I wasn't aware of his work or mm. you know I hadn't seen you know Gallivant and all those kind of films which I know Stuart yeah. was really into Swan Down yeah. Swan Down all that yeah. sort of stuff um, which I have since watched and enjoyed but um, I'm talking to him next week are you? I am indeed yeah. ah, nice. we go, we're going to look at Belmarsh Prison is that a park? It, there was a park <laughs> next to Ian messaged me and he said would you like I said have you got a park that you'd like to go to and he said there's one in Woolwich that overlooks Belmarsh Prison. Can we go to that? Right, so that's nice. what I'm going to. Be fascinating. Yeah. But yeah, that that kind of uh, intersection I think is quite interesting, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, yeah, and I, my interest now in comedy isn't really. I mean, I've sort of you know since doing Brass Eye, which was 25 years ago, mm. I've kind of 
I've done a lot of comedy, and I, and I love doing. Don't get me wrong, I've loved doing Toast of London for the last ten yeah. years, on and off. We've been making that and Toast of Tinseltown, because that is a sort of artistic vision, I think, in a way. So Matt is also an art school boy who was in bands, which is exactly my yeah. background. Arthur, I think, was art school who writes Arthur, Arthur Matthews. Matthews. Um, and uh, you know, it's it, it's they specifically want it to have a visually interesting mm. thing going on as well as being funny. But there's not that much that does now. And so my my sort of interest in comedy is less. And I, I can sort of see myself, you know, maybe moving more towards moving back more towards the sort of art. I mean, I've always kept on making mm. uh, sort of short films and sort of art films, I suppose you'd call them, which is what I did at college but but I could sort of see you know they, they maybe hold a bit more interest to me now yeah than, uh, well we were talking about your film <coughs> about Grange Lido which I need to need to watch um, yes yes uh, yeah yeah you've got a Lido background but yeah that was Grange that's in Grange mm. over Sands and Cumbria that's where I used to go swimming as a kid it's a salt water quite mm. rare salt water yeah. Lido they took the the water and filtered it through from the you know from the estuary at Grange over Sands and um, so it was like swimming in the sea. I don't know. There's not that many of them, no. but but I think the downside of that was it's corroded. It's cold. It's, it's cold and it corroded all the pipe right. work. And so the, the, there's been right. a, a sort of scheme to try and get it mm. um, put back to how it, it's it's been derelict for 20 odd years. Yeah. I think maybe more. Uh, but it's a beautiful location. It's an amazing you know you know more than me about Lido's, but it's it's a great spot and I hope. You know they've raised quite a lot of money. I think you know one day I hope to have another dip in there. Yes, <laughs> we should go freezing. We should cold. go and do it on the on the opening on yeah, the opening day. Absolutely. Um, and you were you briefly mentioning you and Stu might have a new a new documentary project in the works, which we can't can't say too much about. Can yeah, we? we're but hoping to do. I mean, because I we I think I really enjoyed working with him, and I really enjoyed working on something that was completely under our control. Mm. I mean, it's got its downsides, not having executives and backers and, yeah. you know, uh, and, and finances. But but if you can sort of get over that, the plus side of it is you can, it, it means you can just be much more spontaneous and you can be, you can just do stuff because you think it's the mm. right thing to do. You don't yeah. have to ask of whether that's the right thing to do or, or whether people think that's going to work or not. You just do it. and. If it does, it doesn't, and if it does, it does, and and, and you can. So, uh, I like I liked that that way of working, yeah. and, I, and I enjoyed working with Stuart, and, and we're hopefully going to do something uh, later on in the year, which sort of is nominally a documentary, but probably will be more into the territory of sort of documentary drama, spoofery, fakery kind of thing, and may or may not. Involve uh, the Venn diagram that includes uh, Val Dunican and Kevin Eldon. I can't wait for this. <laughs> well, I know you're a big Val Dunican fan. Oh, that's that's why I can't wait for yeah. it. I hate Stuart Lee and yeah, uh, and and Kevin, uh, yeah. and Kevin and you as well actually. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. Uh, it's, you're it's, more of a Val fan. I'm a, I'm a Val Dunican fan. I mean, that's the whole reason I'm here. Yeah, that's the whole reason yeah. I'm here. Um, well, I like a bit of the old VD, so I'm happy to be uh, <laughs> VD, <laughs> as he's known by me only. I know I, I like his uh, silly yeah. songs. Oh, we, we talk about uh, you know your, your Bill Oddie spot. I saw uh, Stuart Lee and the actor Kevin Eldon in conversation mm. walking through Newton Green. 
and um, I did not uh, I did not approach because they looked like they, they were, were intense. They were, think, look, yeah. looked like they were planning something big. Yeah, Maybe it was yeah. it um, could have been. what we yeah, were t- what yeah, we were talking yeah. about. I think yeah, they're 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 an easy spot for uh, yeah. in, in that. Uh, well, I saw Stuart Lee. I thought I thought Father Christmas has let himself go, hasn't <laughs> he? <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was my initial. Oh, and then I thought Karl Marx has let him. I mean, we could go on, go yeah, on with this. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that sounds. Um, that sounds interesting. And you still be you'll still be doing comedy though, won't you? Maybe do some more. Well, we're more toast to when yeah, we're Matt to comes do back more. on his yeah. golden sled yeah. from uh, from Canada. From Canada. Well, he's become a, a much more successful than he was when we started, <laughs> and is much more in demand. So it's hard to fit it in, but. Yeah. Um, I really enjoyed doing Tinseltown after sort of, I think it's like seven years since yeah. we did Toast of London. Yeah. And I was initially worried that because it was part, I think it was, I'm not sure if it was 50-50, but it was part financed by an American company and, and it moved to the BBC from Channel 4. And I thought those two things are going to mean it's going to be very interfered mm. with. You know, they're going to be all over it. But actually the opposite was true. And it was, they basically let us left us alone yeah. <laughs> which may or may not explain why it was even weirder I think than Toast <laughs> of London but, yeah. but it was actually a really pleasant you know myself and Matt and Arthur um, have done all of them you know from the very beginning and I think we sort of know what we're doing yeah. and because the show's gathered sort of you know it wasn't it had a cult following but then yeah. once it got onto Netflix it became sort of more than that actually then people in America knew about it and it had a bit of a sort of following from comedians there so it actually ended up being easier than we thought I think to get American names in it they actually mm. wanted to be in it yeah. which was amazing you know to I didn't even think they'd have heard of yeah. it but they, but they were fans so it, it's incredible how you see this like transatlantic cross uh, pollen, pollination yes, now, yeah, you know, yeah. things like Ted Lasso sort of show that, don't they? It's almost like a co-production. Yes. But I think we can watch their shows much easier, and yeah. they yeah, can watch yeah. ours. Yeah. Whereas back back in the days of yeah. linear TV, it was yes. more more tricky, wasn't it, to yeah, do that? Yeah, yeah. Have you found um, then w- w- was was the uh, converse true with other shows you've worked on, like I don't know, Mark, Mark Thomas or Omar Jalili or Sandy Lands or these other ones where you had. Uh, maybe, don't, maybe you don't want to name the specific ones, but has there been occasions where you've had more, shall we say, input from uh, from the yeah. Michael's, Michael's nodding now? It's yeah, the, from, well, it's the curse the of, I think it's a bit of a curse of, you know, listen, all I'm saying is, on Brass Eye, Chris was left to do what he wanted, mm. and... 25 years later we're still talking about it you know yeah. some of my favorite shows were, were never you know monty python made their shows and handed them in and yeah. nobody understood them but they didn't yeah. say so i don't think you should you know could you just maybe yeah. take three seconds off that shot it'll be funnier or something that that didn't go on you know the strange world of gurney slade <laughs> one of my favorite tv shows ever definitely didn't have any people yeah. meddling with um anthony newley's vision of what he wanted to do yeah um, I, lo- I love the I love the yeah. David Quantic quote in uh, in the Chris biography where um, it's uh, it's 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 David David saying to Chris like he sees what's happening with you guys on Brass Eye and says something like oh Armando's not around anymore is he so it's like it's just you could do what you want basically well I suppose I mean uh, I think Chris would, would would got himself into a very good position at that mm. point because. The day-to-day was so successful. I mean, yeah. he didn't. I wouldn't say he had absolute carte blanche, but he 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 had pretty 
I mean, he didn't have final cut, which I don't think anybody ever gets yeah. much, unless you're, you know, Orson Welles or somebody. But um, but then he, you guys famously, well, I don't know if it's um, if it's uh, true or not, but the the insertion of the frame where yeah. we were talking about rude language earlier, but the, there's yeah. uh, a, a reference to Michael Grades. He's a very wicked little man. <laughs> a very wicked little man. Did, did, did you guys insert that frame at the end of... I don't think I've ever asked you that. Was that, was that a true story or yeah, no, that is a tr- No, that is a true story. Is that true, yeah? If you can believe anything that I say is true or not. <laughs> Actually, everything you, just say, everything you just say is a complete lie. Well, I We've just been talking... Yeah, it's all this fake. Is all, this was all scripted by you. Yeah. So I've just said whatever you want. And th- in fact, this is an act of play, Michael. <laughs> it's not, this isn't Michael coming. No. I actually empl- I employed... Um, who would we get to play you in a, in a fake podcast? Um, uh, I'm not sure who... who, who I don't think there'd be, be anybody up to that role that I can think <laughs> of, to be honest. But, um, yeah. yeah, God help them. Uh, yeah. Um, no, I mean, yes, the, the, all that shenanigans. I mean, I do... I, you know, the truth is I do like to keep the stories around Brass Eye a bit ambiguous. And Oxide mm. Ghosts was deliberately ambiguously narrated to make it sort of did this didn't it happen did it didn't yeah. it but in the q and a's i tend to largely tell the truth although not absolutely <laughs> <laughs> so you know if somebody suggests something that isn't true and i think it might be quite a good myth to keep going yeah. i sort of might agree with it even if it didn't yeah. happen and and you know equally the other way around if somebody says something that, that is mm. a bit of an, a myth about it and I know for a fact it absolutely isn't true I will sometimes correct um, that I'm, I'm going to press you on a point now because okay. I have to this is so glamorous I have to go to BBC Radio Bristol um, to talk uh, talk about my books on BBC yeah. Radio Bristol in a few weeks and one of the stories I'm obsessed with is yeah. Chris Filling a, st- a radio studio with helium, which I believe in the st- in the st- yeah. yeah in the story was ra- Radio Bristol. Did that really happen? I'm not sure. Well, I'm, I'm not, not sure, sure if that. it did. It sounds pretty unlikely to me. Yeah, um, it's a great. But story, I don't know for it? sure actually, to be honest. Because yeah. um, one of my ideas is to take some helium <laughs> <laughs> onto Radio Bristol Just to see and yeah, re- recreate, recreate it, recreate yeah. that. And well, see what happens. The thing, the thing that makes me think it might not be true is that the rumor that I heard was that he'd filled the studio mm. with helium. You know, I'm, you know, obviously when you inhale helium, you speak in a sort of very high-pitched mm. voice. But I'm not sure if you filled a room with it when mm. you would. Um, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I've never asked him that. Because um, I think that in the story, it was a new, it was a newsreader, wasn't it, that was reading the news, and I think was he was I he think. was supposed to have tried to disrupt. The uh, disrupt the newsreader by by filling the studio. The person to ask about that would be Johnny Maitland, who is a TV presenter and um, yeah and uh, and uh, playwright. Yeah, uh, who's done a few of my he did one of the Q and A's. But he he was in Bristol with Chris. I'm sure Mm. he would uh, either just lie to make everybody (laughs) or or, or tell the truth. I don't know. It's but you know that's the thing, isn't it? Sometimes it's nice to have these rumours kicking around and you don't yeah. want to which is actually to be honest partly the reason why it took me 20 years to make Oxide mm-hmm. Ghost because I saw, and I never really talked to, you know I wasn't that book you were talking about about Chris I didn't participate in that because I, I sort of thought well it's nice actually in a way to keep yeah. to keep some of the sort of yeah. the, you know the stories around it um, but I think that is still possible it's not a show that gets 
you know you don't ever see it coming up on UK gold every night and no it's not repeated much and it's um, exactly you know and, it, and it's still got a bit of a you know and that's also part of the reason why I made Oxide Ghost something you have to come to the cinema to watch and well it's part of that sort of keeping it as a sort of undergroundy culty thing really which I think is yeah know, where it should be I think that adds to its power exactly you have to go out and see Oxide Ghost um, and it will obviously yeah never be never be released on DVD and I think also part of the mythology is around the fact that Chris would never do interviews and then he started doing interviews mm. didn't he when when he started making films yeah because you sort of have to you yeah know? I mean he hasn't done many but no. he, he's done a few you know to back his his, his films up but um, he was one of the very few people that would never never be interviewed so yeah, he never really yeah, knew yeah. and he certainly would never be interviewed about anything that wasn't mm. directly connected with promoting mm. you know the, the films um, yeah I think it's a, you know, it's been a good move from it keeps the sort of mystique, yeah, you know, keeps yeah, the mystique and alive. Exactly, I think it, I think it adds to it. But also, yeah, as we were saying, the notion of truth is quite a slippery concept, and yeah. um, even when you know you, you ask like old timers what what happened when when they were young, and people give, you know, you ask the, you ask the Rolling Stones to recite some anecdote and they'll give you four different versions won't they yeah i don't even think they know yeah. what what really uh yeah what really happened once you know obviously their corpses have to be reanimated uh, on a <laughs> night, <laughs> nightly basis <laughs> before they're pushed out on stage but yeah i think all those all those things kind of um, kind of add to it but also you know a lot of the things you've worked on michael have been you know like obviously Brass Eye was quite provocative and Mark Thomas was another one that I really enjoyed yeah. watching yeah. You know, there was lots of um, lots of sort of um, yeah, che- cheekiness of varying uh, levels in that wasn't yeah there? that was straight after I think Mark had done one series uh, because Brass Eye took so long to come out mm. it would have come out before Mark Thomas's series but the first series of Mark Thomas's comedy product came out actually just before Brass Eye, which mm. I didn't direct that first series. And then and then I was asked to come on board for the rest of it. They changed the name, I think, to just product or something. You know, they, they took yeah. the comedy bit out and it got a bit more sort of... Um, political. Know, but a bit more political, mm. a bit more of a, a sort of mission. And I, I, I thought I would do that one little series with him, you know, straight after Brass Eye. And I ended up sort of working with him on like seven series, you know, for years yeah. actually. I got a bit sidetracked on that because he, you know, he sort of pulled me into that world, and it was, it again, that was an interesting, you know, obviously there was legal things that we had to sort of be aware of doing mm. that, but it wasn't interfered with very much, you yeah. know. He 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 had his things that he wanted to talk about, and we would go out and do things with various degrees of success, you know. Some of it um, worked incredibly well, some of it didn't, and uh, and of course, like all these things, as I'm sure would have happened if you would have made more brass eye once people got to know who he was and what he was doing it got harder and harder to make that show because mm. um oh it's that bloke you know let's not definitely we're not going to talk to him you know shut pull, pull the barriers yeah. down and uh, send out the security guard so it did you know by the end it, i think we all felt it had, it, it had maybe got to the point where you couldn't mm. sort of do it again but it'd be nice to have him back wouldn't it uh, yeah uh, you know doing you know it'd be nice for somebody to to do that kind of thing there was some great comedy in that era wasn't there in the 90s it was really um yeah really i don't know it was though tell me yeah i can't remember yes there probably was (laughs) a bit of a busman's holiday for me but uh yeah Yeah. i'm I'm sure there was i'm trying to 
I'm racking my brain. Partridge as well. Yeah, yeah, of course. That was yeah. great. And still goes on to be great, you know, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I suppose my, you know, like you were saying when you were sort of 17. Well, you're getting wistful now. Well, I was felt a bit wistful because when you were talking about you were 17 and you were watching Brass Eye, yeah. I was trying to think, well, what was I watching? I suppose. What were you? Yeah. I suppose it was like, and they are things that had. You know, my, the big thing for me when I went to university was the young ones had just started, and mm. that four students, you know, mm. and I thought that was just the best thing yeah. that there could ever be, and I'd never seen anything quite <laughs> yeah. like it, and then... Well, that was like punk, wasn't it? it yeah. yeah. And then, like comedy you know, equivalent of punk. Vic and Bob's Big Night Out yeah. was the big thing for me. That was when I thought, ah, mm. just blokes who sound like blokes that I know from the Lake Districts, you know, they're not from the Lake but from the North East, yeah. whatever with a very sort of unusual sort of skewed view of the world I've got on telly and they've mm-hmm. got a show and it's not like anything I've ever seen before that was a, that was definitely a massive one when I saw that I went to Middlesbrough once and I walked past I was point I was I was pointed out the solicitor's office where Bob um uh, Bob used to uh Bob Mortimer used to to, to work. work yeah 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 he was a lawyer wasn't he yeah, shocking. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine that. I love the Fast Show as well. That was a oh, yeah, of guilty that pleasure. Was, I was always yeah, reeling yeah. out those catchphrases in yeah. sixth form. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that that time in your life, there's also there's obviously a lot of um, yeah, you're, you're very easily influenced, aren't you? But yeah, yeah. I think when it for me, it was like all that. It was ju- I was just a bit too young for when Python was actually on. Mm. But by the time I was sort of that age all the spin-offs from Python were starting to happen, like Rutland Weekend Television, mm. uh, Eric Idle spin-off, mm. and obviously Faulty Towers, and um, Ripping Yarns, Michael Palin, Michael and Taylor Palin, Jones. Yeah. So those sort of three or four spin-off shows that came directly after Python were the sort of, were the ones that I seem to remember. That and maybe Reggie Perrin, they were the things that we talked about That's at crazy. Yeah. I was literally just about to say The Fall and Rise of Reginald Perrin. Yeah. Because I remember, I remember being, uh, I love Jonathan Coe, and yeah. um, he yeah. he wrote a lot about um, about um, yeah Re- Reginald, Reginald Perrin and I watched that and I thought this is did incredible. you write about Reggie Perrin I, I'd love to I love yes. Jonathan Carr I'm a huge fan yes. he's one of my favourite authors actually but I yes. I've not heard him write, I've not seen him write about him. yes he 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 um, has done some um, done some collaboration with. Uh, the writer of Reginald Perrin, whose name escapes me, um, uh, David Nobbs. David Nobbs, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, I think they they they've kind of collaborated. Ah, that's interesting. I think David Nobbs might have written the radio version of one of Jonathan's books. Right. Um, I have to I have to fact check that. But the Fall and Rise of Reginald Perrin is so good. Yeah. And yeah. so kind of grown up and and dark and artistic and. You just think, how how did this get commissioned? It's it's brilliant, isn't it? Really good. Uh, it is, and it does stand up. I think. Mm. I think it does. Definitely, the first yeah. couple of series yeah. of that really really do do yeah. Sort of stand up. Yeah. Exactly. No, I I love that, and then I love when he comes back as well, and no one can tell. Yeah, no one yeah. can tell. It's it's Martin him. Wellborn. Yeah. That's very good. That's very good. And if you love Jonathan Coe as well, his I don't know if you like B.S. Johnson. His B.S. Johnson. Biography. Ah, right. I haven't read that. No, it's okay. very, very, very good. And that B.S. Johnson was not someone I knew about. No. And then I went and watched all his films, which I think are probably, you know, things that you'd be interested right. in as well. Because yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, um, yeah, there's, there's one where it's just, I think it's called like Fat Man on a Beach, uh, which is just him on a beach in Wales, kind of having a meltdown, eating some bananas, and um, it's brilliant surrealism, and yeah, mm. also. 
also kind of dark and I just always wish he'd just get on and write the next one because as soon as I finish one of his books I just kind of yeah. think, oh god I've got to wait another couple of years now before well, he gets one out they're, they're making a movie of his one about um, Billy Wilder yes I just heard mm. that that's annoying isn't yeah. it <laughs> for me who probably when I read it thought nah you could never do that but um, yes yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, that'll be interesting to see what happens. I mean, he hasn't had much... I was always slightly surprised that they hadn't made more films from his work. Mm. I don't. I might be wrong, but I don't think they've ever made any film. They made a TV of the Rotters Club, yeah. which was sort of okay, but, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know whether they've well, made films of his stuff. Do you know what they... You're, you're right, to a certain extent. The, the film that they made of his book... They've, they've made one and it was a French, French yeah, yeah, yeah yeah it was the terrible privacy of Maxwell Sim yes and I yeah, went yeah. I went to see the premiere of that at uh, the French cinema in London right and Jonathan Coe uh, appears uh, he has a cameo role in that movie I love cameos yeah yeah do you have any cameos and stuff you've done uh, do you appear in, in well, France in... or anything um, my voice. You're in. You're in King Rocker, aren't you? Briefly, but I mean that's not. But in Toast, I'm. I'm um, one of Jane's clients on the wall. My photograph. Oh. I'm Charles Bonus, the actor who, with a moustache. And in fact, we recently did a Q and A. Um, Matt and I and Arthur mm. about uh, related to Toast at the at the uh, BFI. And, you know, it was part of a television festival yeah. and there's like a way in and fans sort of hang around outside and I sort of got out of the car and I'm thinking, well, I'm straight in here. And a bloke sort of shouted my name and wanted me to sign a photo of Charles Bonus. Charles Bonus. That he printed. So, I mean, that is quite hardcore because I yeah. don't think many people would know that I was Charles yeah. Bonus. But, um, and That's I do a lot of bits and pieces of voices in, in mm. Toast and my voice is on brass eye. I play the Mission Control, uh, Houston uh, Mission Control when... Buzz Aldrin uh, um, uh, gets involved with the space gimp who gets sent up to uh, bits of that, you know. Um, yeah. I'm a few appearances in Mark Steele lectures, um, often mm. often one running around looking panicked in Mark Thomas, obviously, because yeah. that was all off the, yeah. off the cuff. But, um, yeah, yeah. You're like uh, Cumbria's Hitchcock. Yes. Essentially. Hitchcock. <laughs> It's cock. Yeah. Thought, uh, <laughs> but yeah, they should they should have made more uh, more films of Jonathan's. It may be that it's hard. It may be that they're, they're difficult to difficult to make work. I, I was I'm a huge fan and was a huge fan of the work of Kurt Vonnegut, and I always you made a film. About I him, made a short it? film when I was at yeah. film school, and Vonnegut um, was very supportive and, and mm. allowed me to do it and all that sort of thing. And I, I always thought. I'd like to, you know, but actually when you look into it, the reason why his books work so well is it's so much about his, the, like the narrator's, you know, the, mm. the author's voice is such a part of it. And it's really hard to do that in yeah. films. It's like in the, um, they made a big movie of the um, Lemony Snicket series of unfortunate mm. events with Jim Carrey and it wasn't, didn't really work. And then they made a Netflix TV series mm. and they got it absolutely spot on, I think, yeah. because... The author, the Lemony Snicket character, who's writing the book and talks, you know, as the author of the book while he's writing, which is kind of quite hardcore for a kid's yeah. uh, book, is a big part of it, and that's the thing that they brought to the TV version. They actually had a character who would 
talk almost to camera, you mm. know, like a, he was the author of the book, and that's always yeah, always it's like that having the author himself in. I love in the book. I love that so much. When I wrote my novel, The Wall in the Head, I I was always thinking. Well, I was I was kind of in the back of my mind thinking, well, how will we film this? Yes. And a yes. lot of it is about making TV and. It's, uh, but, but I, lo- I love the, the idea of things which are meta as well. When you have, you know, the fourth wall being broken oh. or playing with a narrator, I just think those things well, are... Well, Vonnegut was meta before there was even a word right. for it. I mean, he, he, I mean it, did, it blew my mind. Well, I think mm. probably was about 18, 19 when I read Breakfast of Champions. And that book blew my mind because it, it's a funny book anyway and it's, it's a brilliant book. But then sort of halfway through, out of nowhere... The you know the author of the book, the writer of the book, suddenly steps in and says, "Well, you know, I, I invented this character, so mm. I, you know, and I gave him some of the traits of my father, yeah. and I made him do this, and in a minute, I'm going to make him be bitten by a dog that's going to come round the corner." And I was like, "Oh my God, you can sort <laughs> of do that, you can say that, you can, you can sort of admit, you know, you set up all yeah. this halfway through this book, setting up this fictional sort of world, and then you can just destroy it by sort of saying." Oh, it's only a book. Um, it's being written by a bloke. In a, you know, it's yeah. not even a. You know, I just love that. I think yeah, it's great. and exactly. Play, yeah, playing with the ideas of you know, this is a piece of art, and what is going to going to be your reaction to it as well? I think yeah. is so. Yeah, yeah. So interesting. And so it? I've always loved, you know, and I suppose in a way, in King, you know, just to bring it round back to King Rocker again, we, you know, Stuart loves that sort of, mm. you know, showing his workings in the margin kind of approach to yeah. doing, you know, and we deliberately had him sort of say well, well like, we're going to cut to this now and see whether that you know yeah. and, and reveal the process of making the documentary as part of the yeah the documentary which I love I, that I, I do like yeah um, things that do do that yeah um, I think it's great to have that for sure for sure for I sure. mean you know it's uh yeah well just well, I think we'll we'll probably wrap up quite, quite soon because I think you've got you've got things to do but you know, one of the one of the things I was thinking about recently, I wa- I rewatched Twenty Four Hour Party People, oh, and yes. I love this idea of uh, like Tony Tony Wilson. Yeah. Michael's. Uh, yeah, we'll we'll just go for a little stroll again through the park. But yeah, the idea of Tony Wilson as a kind of figure who's sort of connecting all these interesting people, I think, mm, is mm. so so interesting. And I wonder if. Um, You've ever thought of that, Michael? Because you know all these people. You've worked with all these, you know, anyone who loves comedy knows all these people. Chris Morris and Stuart Lee and Mark Steele and Omar Jalili and Mark Thomas. All the good and ones, right? Matt Berry <laughs> and Arthur Matthews. I mean, you've, you've worked with all these people. Well, you if, know anybody, all these people. if anybody ever wants to call me the Tony Wilson of comedy, I'd be absolutely <laughs> honoured because Tony Wilson was a massive. Uh, uh, what's the next word going to be? A, a massive. <laughs> Part of my life, actually. Yeah. He, you know, his. Um, well, you sort of probably saw him on Granada Reports. Reports yeah, his, so it goes. So it goes. Yeah. You know, I was isolated in a little part of the country mm-hmm. that didn't really have anything. So he was the one who brought the reports of, yeah. you know, punk and post-punk and all those things to us on 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 the, yeah. the thing. And I I, wa- I loved Twenty Four Hour Particles, although I watched it recently and I thought, is it actually much more whimsical than I thought it was when I first watched it? Well, th- I think there's another thing with but mm. I love Michael Winterbottom as well, and I love sure, the way yeah, that yeah, he absolutely. yeah he does kind of meta stuff as well, doesn't he? And there's lots yeah. of like different you know styles and lots of collage and things like that yeah cut and paste yeah, yeah, um, yeah. but yeah I, th- I sometimes I sometimes think maybe I'll maybe I'll write a screenplay of uh, 
sort of the he- the heyday of 90s comedy and um, we can we can have a have a Michael Cumming character who's kind of <laughs> in in the middle of it all but we need to find out who will play you we we, we have yeah. we haven't settled on that yet have we um you play yourself Tilda Swinton Tilda Swinton that would be my first <laughs> choice Tilda Swinton as yeah. Michael Cumming yeah, yeah, yeah that I'd watch that <laughs> um, and what, what else are you um, what else are you working on uh, in, in the future um, are you just going well, to go to your I've farm no idea. I've no idea to be honest I, I'm sort of I was hoping we were going to be doing gardening. another um, bit of gardening I was hoping we were going to do another series of toasts this year but yeah. it hasn't happened so but I do hope it, it will come back. Um, but this means you can go to Ibiza and uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. sec- secondary <laughs> summer plans. Yeah, no, I've got a lot. Of, we're doing a lot of festivals this summer. Yeah. We did Glastonbury, as you say, and Stuart and I are doing a couple of festivals. Um, doing Blue Dot and Deer Shed with King Rocker. Mm-hmm. Um, Edinburgh Festival, we're yeah. doing that with King Rocker and Oxide Ghosts. Um, and then I'm going to do another little mini tour of Oxide Ghosts in September. Yeah. And then uh, probably gentle retirement after that, hopefully. No, what? I mean, I don't know. I mean, uh, yeah, then hopefully we'll start, Stuart and I can maybe start getting on with um, with the next thing, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, that, uh, yeah, that project, un- untitled... Untitled, well, it Val has got... Valdunican project, <laughs> untitled actor Kevin Eldon and Van Valdunican project. Yes, yeah, yeah. Sounds yeah. like... Um, I think it has got a title, but I can't remember what it is. <laughs> <laughs> you have to tell us that later. And you think maybe well, we were talking about making more like serious films as well. I don't you necessarily mean, mean serious, but I mean you know films that are made by me yeah. for me. And if anybody else is interested, great. Rather than stuff on TV. I mean it. I don't know. I you know I'm very lucky. I get sent scripts, and if I like them, I, you know I do them. And if I don't, I probably don't. And yeah. um, but I think it's probably it's probably my problem, not TV's problem. But there's less sort of comedy stuff on TV that interests me now. Yeah. Um, which, as I say, is probably because of my tastes have changed, maybe. And if you you know if you've been lucky enough to work on things like Toast and Brass Eye, you, you know you sort of. Um, yeah. You know, it sets the threshold uh, a point where you think, well, I don't really want to just do something that's not that great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And you've d- yeah, you've done those you've done those great things, and you'll you'll always have those, won't you? I'll always you'll have. You'll always have them. Yeah. Yeah. You'll always they have get them. Erased, but yeah, yeah, I'll have them. <laughs> I'll have them. Okay. Yeah. Michael Brilliant. Cumming, thank you so much for speaking to me. Uh, yeah, I hope you've enjoyed this. Yeah, lovely to talk to you, Chris, and have a stroll across the heath. We're, we're probably now that all the cars are going to spoil the thing. But Our ending. Yeah. That's okay. Stop, stop the cars. <laughs> stop the tape. Stop the tape. Next week, there is no park date. Instead, Catch our host, Christopher Beanland, appearing on the foodie podcast, Foodie for Thought, presented by Talkwill Empathy. So, you're on a desert island, and uh, there's no access to any kind of sous vide, uh, unfortunately. Uh, you have a rod, so that's something. What are you going to catch for your dinner? Um fish also you can catch christopher on the dave dazelle show on popular radio leads 
Alright, alright, Dave Dazelle here with your drive time on Popular Radio Leeds. Now, we've got Harry Styles coming up in one second for the 78th time today, but first, it's uh, Christopher Beanland. Beanland by name, Beanland by nature. I've got no idea what the hell that means. Anyway, how are you doing? Actually, don't answer that question. Answer this one. Uh, who is your favourite member of the rock band Marillion? Uh, fish? Also, catch Christopher on Celebrity Family Fortunes. Alright, for the star prize now, we asked 100 idiots what is their favourite food that goes with chips. Remember, you're looking for the top answer. Okay, the top answer. Uh, 100 idiots. Um, pie? No, I'm sorry, it was sorrel. Sorrel? For... If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.